0: This is the Get Booked podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode one hundred and eighteen, and we are recording on February thirteenth. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. My dog has a crate, y'all. <laughs> no more
1: jingling in the background. What will you're gonna we need do?
0: To, you're gonna need to find a new bingo square. I don't I know. She might start whining while she's in it, no. so then the square will just be Amanda's dog whines Not instead right. of Amanda's dog walks around. <laughs> she's just laying quietly now, so we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I, my
1: cat was like. mounted a full-on assault on one of her toys as I was getting ready for this, and you could hear her, like, galumphing around the apartment. (laughs) And I was like, well, that could be interesting, but she's... I don't even know where she is now. She's settled down somewhere, so...
0: It's just, you know, the... the, What's that law where, like, the worst thing that's going to happen? Murphy's Law. Yes, it's the Murphy's Law of podcasting. If I had babies, they would be crying now, just right now. They would just, like, magically know that I needed a thing to do. True fact. Anyway... What you reading?
1: I am reading After the Flare by Deji Bryce Olakotun, which is technically the second book in the series, and I haven't read the first one, and I'm, like, bad at series all over the place now. It used to be just romance, but now I'm apparently bad at all series. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to read it, and I could get a copy of this, like, from the publisher, so I just haven't read the first one yet. But anyway, it's really not at all what I was expecting, which is probably because I haven't read the first one.
0: but. um, <laughs> um,
1: it takes place in like a version of our world in which there's been a giant solar flare and there's an astronaut stuck on the International Space Station and um, the flare has knocked out the like internet and power structures of most of the sort of, you know, West, like America and, and the upper latitudes. So the only, like around the equator, there are still countries with, you know, the infrastructure. Um, and so they you like the story opens in nigeria with their space program and they're the ones who are like working to rescue the astronaut and on top of it there's like weird energy beings like sabotaging the space air like headquarters it's weird there's weird things happening i'm not sure what's happening right now but i'm really enjoying not knowing what's happening so yeah it's i'm definitely going to go back and read the first one once i'm done with this one what
0: about you I am just still on Winston's War, (laughs) which is the audiobook. um, I mean, I'm reading a couple of other things, but they're for, like, top secret projects, so I can't talk about them. So the thing that I can talk about is how I am still listening to the audiobook of Winston's War by Max Hastings, which is um, a book, obviously, about Winston Churchill during the wartime years of World War II. I am right about, like, the beginning of 1941, so I got a while to go. We're still still trucking. Like, he's still like developing his government and giving people cabinet positions. so and I've already listened it, and I'm like six hours in that's <laughs> still just where we are. Um, but it's great. I have a I love Winston Churchill in a way that you know, as much as one can love a crazy warlord. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm liking it. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) um, so how the show works. As I mentioned, this is a podcast for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading recommendation for yourself or your book club or for a gift or for whatever, you can send them to us via email at getbookedatbookright.com. Or you can drop your question in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line of the email or in the first line if you're using the form so that we can get to it on time. We might email you back instead of answering the question on the show uh, if we're not going to get to it in the time needed or if your question has been answered uh, a lot you know, on the show already, then we'll probably just email you um, recommendations instead of answering it again because uh, we don't expect you to go back and listen to 117 episodes of anything to find out if your question's already been asked. And that is how the show works. So we are going to roll on. Jen's going to read our first question. I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will get going.
1: All right. So the first question is from Marissa, who says, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations of any books about royalty in other countries besides the U.S. and Britain. I would prefer fiction, but I'm open to nonfiction, too.
0: Okay. So our first sponsor is very, sounds very timely, let me tell you. It's a book called Here We Lie. It's by Paula Trecht-DeBard. And it's from Park Park Row Books. So this is a novel about a girl named Megan. She's from like a really modest Midwest background. And she befriends another girl named Lauren, who is the daughter of a senator from a really wealthy family from New England. So they're like total opposites. They become roommates at a private women's college and become super, super close friends. The summer before their senior year... Megan, the girl from the Midwest, joins Lauren's super-rich family on their private island off the coast of Maine, because, of course, uh, as, like, well, you know, a last hurrah before their graduation. But then, late one night, something really unspeakable happens and tears their friendship totally apart. Fast forward a couple... Well, many, many years later, and Megan has decided to come forward publicly about what happened that night on the island with the rich senator's family. So I'm sure that you can kind of parse <laughs> where this is going. Um, but this is a really great book for, it, like it sounds really great for book clubs to me. Like if your book club is not, doesn't shy away from difficult topics and likes talking about um, things that are like real, like family pressure and privilege and abuse and things like that. um, And you have a sort of, environment where you can start conversations and open up discussions about difficult topics, then I think this would be a great book club pick. Um, or just, you know, it's really relevant to what's happening right now. So just a general good read. So go check that out. That's Here We Lie by Paula Trek de Board, and it's out from Park Row Books. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay. Uh, books about royalty, not in the US and Britain. So this one is a little bit left-fieldy, but I think that you will like it and it'll work. Uh, and it goes to, like, the spirit of what you're asking. It's The book is The Kindness of Enemies. It's by Laila Aboulela, And it goes back and forth in time. Um, it opens in 2010 and the main character is uh, Natasha. She's half Russian, she's half Sudanese. She's a, a history professor researching the life of Imam Shamil, who was a Muslim leader in the 1800s um, in the Caucasus Mountains who led the anti-Russian resistance um, during that time. So she's researching this guy. She meets... Um, some descendants of his who like have one of his swords and gets really wrapped up in their lives as the son of the family that she meets gets arrested as a suspected terrorist. So that's happening. And then the other half of the novel is going backwards in time to Shamil's, uh, to Imam Shamil's story. So you see him, you see his son get taken hostage by the Russians um, as part of their war. So in exchange, well not in exchange, but like kind of in vengeance, Imam kidnaps a Georgian princess um, and holds her hostage in order to exchange him for exchange her for his son. So you follow this Georgian princess. Who, we're like Georgia is not a country anymore when this when this is happening. It's been taken over by Russia. So she's not technically royalty at this point, but she has married a really high um, high up Russian noble. and she still considers herself royalty very much. and she gets kind of, a little seduced by a mom's rhetoric of independence from Russia and how she could be a princess again, and this whole thing. And then you do follow his son into the Russian court, where he becomes like the godchild of the emperor and is raised in all of this wealth and all of this opulence. But he's still Muslim, you know, and he's still very much like a foreigner, but also part of the family, but also super not part of the family. So it's a really interesting look at royal life in Russia. And also, uh, like royalty of this really small country that's not a country anymore that is a country again um, of Georgia, and how and, and like the the history of that whole region, which I didn't know anything about when I was reading this book, and then it's put into the context of modern politics. Um, so if you're wanting to read a book about maybe the history of a royal family or a royalty, um, that. I don't think a lot of Western readers would really know much about, then I think this is a really good intro. So that's The Kindness of Enemies by Layla Abu Layla.
1: I picked for you a romance novel that I'm so excited about. And <laughs> then I apologize in advance. It doesn't come out until February 27th. Um, so you'll have to wait like a week or so after this airs. But it's worth it. It's A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole, which is the first in her Reluctant Royals series. And it follows a young woman named Nalati Smith, who is a graduate student in epidemiology. She's like a disease hunter specialist. I love like, epidemiology is one of the things that I love to read about. So I was so delighted to see a heroine, um, a woman of color heroine, it, who, like, is in a STEM field. Um, and she also has started getting these emails from somebody claiming that she is betrothed to an African prince. And she's like, uh, spam, like, go away. But they keep emailing her, and she's just, like, so annoyed. Um, and then one day... Somebody shows up in New York where she is going to school and is like, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay, so she's getting these emails. I'm going to rewind. She's getting these emails. And then you, the the hero of the story is the actual African prince. It's not a scam. Um, he is the heir to the throne of a fictional African country named Thesolo. And he, like, has been emailing, you know, the woman who he believes he is betrothed to and is hearing nothing. So he's like, I'm going to go to New York and find her because I have to go to New York on business anyway. Um, and so they meet and she doesn't know who he is. And they, of course, fall for each other. And then she finds out that he has been lying to her about who he is. And everything erupts. Um, and the first part of the book takes place in New York. And the second part of the book takes place in this African country of the solo um and it's it's There are so many details that I 100% believe this was a real place. Like I was like Googling. I was like, Is this like where? Is do they have a tourism bureau? Like how how can I find out more? But like no, Alyssa Cole like you know sort of invented an African country for the purposes of this book. Um, But it feels so real, and you can tell she. I feel like you can tell she researched what royalty might be like, like the prince's life. It's so well done. Like there's a special gate at LaGuardia for his, like, private jet to take off from? And and also, like, what is it like to be royalty and like what is it like to like go on the subway for the first time what's it like to be in your own country where you have all these pressures like and then Naledi who is the heroine is such like a no nonsense person and she's a foster kid so like she has grown up without many possessions of her own she was shuffled around for all of her childhood she never had like a full family experience Um, and she's a broke graduate student so her life is completely different from his and uh, the balance of that is just done so well so it has has this royalty thread it's got a little bit of like a Cinderella story. Um, it's just so enjoyable and such a good well-paced romance like it really it earns the ending is what how I'm gonna put that. So that is a princess in theory by Alyssa Cole and the second book, takes place in Scotland and has a duke. The title is A Duke by Default, if I remember correctly, which so like a blacksmith duke because why not? Um, So that's something to look forward to later this year. But yeah, I I really, I don't read a lot of royalty romances, like that's aside from regencies, which are all dukes, so they're not like princes or anything. Um, So this was a fun read for me and I think it's definitely worth picking up. So that is A Princess in Theory. By Alyssa Cole.
0: You know, you never really see a regency romance with like some kind of low ranking nobility. No. Like, I don't even know what would be.
1: It, like, like, earls or, or even just right. lords. There's just not that many of those.
0: Everybody wants a do Or <laughs> like landed gentry, but not so fancy. Right. Okay. <laughs> Less <not>. fancy gentry. That's <laughs> <laughs> a subgenre. Or is it? I don't know. It's I mean, I read a lot of romance. But I don't know. <laughs> All right. Question two is from Courtney who says I recently picked up reading. More voraciously, again, after a drought of several years, I started listening to this podcast from the beginning. Oh, thank you. Um, I typically fall into a pattern of reading through whole series very quickly because I'm a tad bit obsessive. Um, I was hoping you could provide some recommendations that will challenge me from a story perspective, not writing style, with some more deep or emotional themes. I'm kind of over the mystery thriller vampires Harry Potter type books. Okay. Um, so my book is very challenging, <laughs> so challenging, in fact, that it requires a trigger warning for sexual assault, um, and that is Gather the Daughters by Jenny Melamed. Uh, I read this book in, like, one sitting, uh, it is page-turning, so it's not challenging via, like, the writing style It's not challenging, but the story and the themes are extremely challenging, so it's kind of a near-future dystopia, um, where the world has suffered some kind of unnamed disaster, where, like, all the cities are on fire and whatever, Um, And so 10 men have taken their families uh, to an island off a coast. You don't know which coast. It sounds to me like the uh, East Coast, but I don't know. Um, And have started an isolated society there, the 10 of these families. And when the book opens, you're a couple generations past that. So like those 10 people are dead. Um and now there's just this society that is sustaining itself on this island. Um it's very radical, there's a lot it's like very fundamentalist, uh, religious wise, with like a mix of ancestor worship, there's a lot of controlled breeding, um girls are not allowed to learn well anything. It kinda, you know, like it read to me like if the Duggars had an island, I'm gonna be super oh, honest. Oh gross. Right? Sorry, yeah. you yes, did. that's gross. Nope. That's yeah. I'm just yep, It's real. <laughs> um, and so the only people who are allowed to leave the island are called the Wanderers. These are chosen male descendants of the original ten guys who founded this island, and they go out back onto the mainland to scavenge for stuff that they need that the that they need to survive. But the real story of this book is about the daughters, as you could probably gather from the title. Um, the daughters in this society are wives in training. When they hit puberty, they have a summer of fruition, which is, um, well. I'm not going to get into it because it's just really <laughs> difficult. Um, and then after their summer of fruition, they are married off. And then they have children. Once they're no longer useful and they hit a certain age, then they commit suicide. Everyone in this society does this. And so in the course of the, the book, you're following one particular daughter named Caitlin, who, when the book opens, sees something, re- sees something really confusing to her and frightening because it doesn't fit with the laws of the island and makes her start to question um, the rightness of everything that she's been taught and maybe even the truthfulness. Like, not necessarily this isn't okay, but, like, everything I've been told is a lie. Uh, and so then you follow her as her... She pairs up with another girl named Janie, who is 17 years old and is so unwilling to participate in the system that she is starving herself to death, so she never hits purity. And the two of them team up to, like, bring the daughters together and maybe lead an... And, like, try to lead an uprising. And so you are watching this happen. Um, it, uh, you know... Handmaid's Tale with with little girls. Like, it's just hard. It's hard to read. Very challenging. But I read it in, like, on my sofa and never got up. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it to you. Like, I I don't shy away from difficult books or books about, like, hard topics. It's not... I'm not automatically going to discount them. But this was so hard, and I could not look away. I I can't even, like, explain. It's so compelling. Like, what next horrible thing is she going to imagine? She imagines it. She super does. Um, But the society that she has built seems... So terrifying and awful, but also extremely familiar in the, in that way that, like, The Handmaid's Tale is terrifying and awful, but also completely plausible um, and feels very near. So it's a lot like that. So that's Gather the Daughters by Jenny Melabed.
1: I picked Gem Signs, which is the first in a trilogy, and all the books are out. So, if you you know you mentioned that you like to blaze through a series, you can do that with this one. In uh, the first one, oh, it's Gem Signs by Stephanie Salter. Um, the series is called Revolution, except the R is like a trademark. You'll see. Um, and this takes place in a future in which humanity has been or went through a, a huge plague um, called the Syndrome. And to survive it, everybody basically had to be genetically modified. Um, So genetic engineering has taken huge strides forward. In the process of sort of saving humanity because of course this happened, like corporations discovered that they could engineer sort of pseudo people to do very specific jobs. So like, what if you could engineer the perfect miner, or like the perfect diver or, you know, the perfect person to do really heavy manual labor? Like suddenly it's not just about improving lifespan and, you know, surviving disease, but it's about like making your hands different and making your eyes see infrared because why not? Like that's what you need to get this job done. Um, And so these corporations have created these sort of different types of people that are called gems, um, but they're also sort of considered property. And so the point at which you pick up in the book, that's all like back history. The point at which you pick up in the book is where the gems are campaigning for full civil rights and the corporations of course don't want this because then they actually have to like treat them well and have labor laws and you know reimburse them properly for their time and all of that stuff no the cuts into profits nobody wants that right um And then there are, of course, religious factions that consider them subhuman because of the genetic engineering that they've undergone. Um, And then there's, like, the general population, which is just confused because if everybody is genetically engineered, who is human? So these are the questions that this series is considering. And in the book, you're following a scientist who is part of this coalition that is trying to decide on this question. Like, it's literally coming to a vote whether or not the gems count as human. And he is a scientist who has been charged to, like, gather... All of the evidence and present it, um, and and help decide what is going to happen. And then you also get to follow a gem called Ariel Morningstar, who is uh, sort of a underground leader of the gem population. And there's also this like very ruthless corporate executive, and there's all kinds of secrets and underground plots and conspiracies and um, it's a really action-y plot but it also is so thoughtful and so it balances those two things incredibly well I really enjoyed it. Um, there is some violence in this book there's uh, as you might guess there's extremist factions on both sides and um, there is a hate crime that is described in a way that like is not easy to read but um, but yeah it's just so fascinating and the, the rest of the series does a really good job of building on the world and the storyline in ways I wasn't necessarily expecting. So there's some nice surprises along the way and throughout the course of the whole series. And I just love, I just love the way that this book plays with this idea of genetic engineering and humanity. I thought it was really, really well done. So that's Gem Signs, uh, the first book in the Revolution series by Stephanie Salter. Let's see. Our next question is from Melly, who says, I'm a lover of books and have read since I was a child, and now that I have children of my own, I want to pass that on to my girls. My dilemma is that my 11-year-old doesn't love to read or even like to unless she has to for school. So my question is, can you recommend some books that will maybe jumpstart her love of reading? She just finished Aragon for school and claims she didn't like it, but I know better. She was talking to the book. Uh, She's a very girly girl, if that helps. I love this question. Amanda, what did you pick?
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I know you liked it. I saw you talk. Right, exactly. Me. It sounds like something I would say to my kids. Um, okay, so I picked Inkheart by uh, Cornelia Funk. Funke? I've never said that out loud before. I think it's Funk. Okay, anyway. Um, this is also a movie. So if your daughter is not super into books, but she likes, uh, you know, fun movies, then she can read this and then go watch the movie. That could be, like, a reward. I don't know. Um, But it is about a 12-year-old girl, uh, so I thought that that might help her get into it a little bit, because she said she's a girly girl, um, and Meggy in the book uh, isn't necessarily, like, overtly feminine or anything, but reading about a girl her own age going on this fun adventure uh, might get her a little more interested. Um, So this is a magical world like Aragorn. I don't remember any dragons or anything, but it is fantasy like that. Um, And so her mother is missing. When she was a little girl, her father, who has this ability to read characters out of books, like you can read them out loud, and then the characters come to life off the page and are around you. Um, so he did that. He was reading a book called Inkart and released those characters out into the real world, and simultaneously her mother disappeared into the story, and they've not been able to get her back. Um, and so that this is about that, like their adventure to find his Wife, her mother, um, and I'm pretty sure Brendan Fraser was in the movie. Now I'm having he these, like, was he was the bags. dad. Yes, he was the yeah. dad. Weirdly, and I remember when I that came out, I was like, Brendan
1: Fraser is a dad. <laughs> like it's a far. Huh. It's been a long journey since Encino Man. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. Well. Anyway, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start picking apart Encino Man. Um. So it's like a story within a story, a book about books, and I think that maybe subconsciously I picked this as like a way to convince her that books are fun a little bit (laughs) Um, because it is an adventure about how great books are essentially Um, but also surface level magic girl main character and that is why I picked it not my subconscious reasons so that's Inkheart by Cornelia Funk, which is, it's a trilogy, I'm pretty sure. So if she does like it, there's more in that series she can read.
1: I picked Bayou Magic by Jewel Parker Rhodes, which is also the first in a trilogy, the Louisiana Girls trilogy. Um, And it has mermaids. I thought that might appeal to her. Um, It's about a young girl named Maddie who, she lives in the city, but every summer one of her sisters, um, they, like, it's a sister's turn to go stay with the grandma in the bayou for the summer. And this summer it's her turn. And her sisters have like not enjoyed their bayou summers. They're just like, oh, it's like boring and there's no TV. And grandma makes you do chores and it's stupid. Um, and also like, oh, she's a witch, like it's scary. So Maddie has a lot of conflicted feelings about going to spend the summer with her grandmother. But she gets there and she's like, No, this is not actually that bad. Like, I do have to sweep and there's no TV, but there's fireflies, and this is really cool. And then one day she's all have any adventure with the friend that she makes in the bayou. And they see something in the water, and she is convinced that it is a mermaid. Uh, and she starts to find out from her grandmother that, like, maybe there is a sort of magical history in their family. Um, and then there is an oil leak offshore of the bayou because there are, like, that's the local industries that people work on the oil rig. Um, and so she has to try to figure out, like, can she save the mermaid? Can she save the bayou? Like, what is going to happen? Uh, so. And, and that sort of illustrates what I loved about this book, which is that it takes a very magical premise, like mermaids, and then sort of balances it with these real world questions of, you know, pollution and, um, and, and like, environmental issues. Uh, it also has some family issues in it. Uh, Maddie and her grandmother have a really lovely relationship. But the friend that she makes, um, his father is an alcoholic, and there is a scene where the Father is like drunk and hurts his kid, Um, but it's handled in a really uh, sort of light and but respectful way. Like it, it, it feels it's not super dark. It feels like it's addressed as a thing that a child might encounter when they go to a friend's house, and like here's here's like the best possible version of what might happen when that occurs um it also has some really sad moments so like fair warning i don't know if she's particularly sensitive to that kind of thing um but i just found it just really really enjoyable and with a depth that i wasn't necessarily expecting out of like a mermaid story so that's bayou magic by jewel parker rhodes
0: Okay, our next question is from Catherine, who says, I was hoping you could recommend some fiction that focuses on the immigrant experience in America. I recently read and loved Behold the Dreamers, and I would love to find more like it. I'm currently reading Americana, but I'm not sure where else to look. Okay, I picked kind of a classic of this genre, is it a genre, I don't know, um, subject, <laughs> and that's The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, uh, which bounces back and forth in time between the the 40s in San Francisco and kind of present day, I mean, like, present day, I think it's the 80s when the book starts, or the opens, um, and it's about four Chinese women who have immigrated to San Francisco, and they start, they meet, they have, like, you know... They call themselves the Joy Luck Club. They get together, they eat food, they play mahjong, they talk about their families and their um, lives back in China. And they have this lifelong connection. They continue doing this until their ripe old age. And then as the book opens, one of the four women has died and her daughter June has replaced her mother at this monthly mahjong game. And so she um, is like feels very much like an interloper. Like she she knows all these women, has known them her whole life. Um, but she is considers herself mostly an American, and also you know is gener like is not of their generation, is thirty years younger than all of them, um, and is very aware that they know things about her mother that she doesn't. And so um, as she gets more not acquainted, I don't know, you know that thing where like you you're just not close to your parents' friends, and that's kind of weird. Um, being, like, with them (laughs) without your parents there. Uh, But as she starts to become kind of closer to them, the the other women begin to open up to her about her mother and what her mother's life was like in China before she came to the U.S., which she didn't really talk about when she was growing up. So then you bounce back between... like, not flashbacks because it's third person, but you're, you're seeing her mother's life in China and the other four women. And then you also follow their children. So it's multigenerational, um, and it is very much about the immigrant experience, but it's also very much about the differences between, like, the immigrants and first-generation families, you know, because uh, these their kids grow up with Chinese culture, but they also grow up with American culture and have to figure out how to mesh those two together um, in ways that don't always make their, their parents happy, um, but also in ways that don't always make their friends happy, um, or them for that matter. And so watching how these four different women handle escaping what they were escaping in China and then rebuilding their lives from nothing in San Francisco and then watching their children completely like just not understand that what that was like and not entirely through like their own fault. Like their parents were kind of closed off. Um, so I don't know. It's just really fascinating. And every character handles it in a different way because every person handles challenges in a different way. Um, but and also a movie. I don't know why I keep bringing that up, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it's bonus. Does it get bonus points if it's a film? No, I don't think so. Anyway, it's this a good is, movie, it was, maybe, right? It is. It is a good movie. So there you I go. don't know. I mean, the, obviously, this was not the first book written about the American immigrant experience, but it is really commercially successful and a, like a classic book club book. And it's just really good. It's just really good. And I like it a lot. So that's The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan.
1: I picked We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo, which I read when it first came out. And oh, man, this book, like, Ooh, it got into my heart. Um, it is about a 10-year-old girl named Darling, who is uh, grown-up in Zimbabwe, and um, she had, like, a pretty normal life in her early years, but then in, like, the recent past, um, her homes, their homes were destroyed by paramilitary forces. The school got closed. Their parents, you know, their fathers all left for dangerous jobs abroad, um, and so now she and her friends are, like, a little bit running amok you know they're like stealing guavas and you know talking about what happened before but sort of adjusting to their current reality um but then darling gets sent to live with her aunt in america and has to try to figure out like what does life look like not just for her, but in relationship to what she's left behind. So, you know, there's these really sort of heart-wrenching scenes where she's trying to have conversations with the people she loves back home, but now there's this mental and physical distance between them, and how do you bridge that? Uh, Especially when you're a kid, like you're a kid. Um, And this is one of the few books that I've read that is sort of written for adults but has a child immigrant narrator. Like, I haven't read that many of those And I found it a really powerful and sort of different look at like what the immigrant experience is like. Uh, Noviolet Bulawayo, this is a debut and she is a beautiful writer. Like this is beautifully written. I just thought it was so good and so impressive that it, it was a debut novel. And yeah, it definitely belongs on the shelf like right next to Americana and Behold the Dreamers. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I think it's exactly what you're looking for. Uh, so that's We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo. And now it is time for our second sponsor, which is Freshwater by Iwaka Amazi, And this is a novel from Grove Press that focuses on a young Nigerian woman named Ada who develops separate selves within her um, as a result of being born, like as they put it, uh, with one foot on the other side. So she comes of age and goes to America for college and, um, it's there is a traumatic event that crystallizes these selves into something more powerful. So now these separate selves are taking control, and her life starts to spiral in a dark and dangerous direction. Um, this is like, as you might guess from the synopsis, it's an intense book. It's dark, um, but it is also profoundly moving and thought-provoking because it's thinking about questions like, uh, what is our place on the planet? Um, how do those of us who don't have a consistent or normative self of self sense of self come to self-understanding. Uh, it's also about the Igbo religion and belief uh, beliefs about the world. Um, so there's spirituality questions going on. There's questions of gender and sex. There's also questions about self-harm. Um, what does reality look like? So there's a lot going on. This book also has one of the most interesting covers I have seen in a while. There was like a 20-minute discussion about this cover <laughs> in the Insiders Forum the other day. Like, people are very sort of on one side or the other about how they feel about this cover. I think it's beautiful, actually. I love this cover. Um, but it will it will give you feelings when you look at it, I can pretty much guarantee. Uh, so that is Freshwater by Equaca Amazi, and you should definitely check it out. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, our fifth question is from Alex, who says, I'm looking for fiction in which the characters have, A, A, have extremely close friendships, and B, take care of each other's mental and physical health, if that makes sense. Uh, Examples, a little life and the ways in which everyone takes care of Jude, or the rest of us just live here, and the ways in which, well, everybody in that book takes care of everybody else. Uh, Caveat, in spite of the example above, I generally don't like YA. That cracks me up. Uh, Amanda, what did you pick? You picked a YA. (laughs)
0: I picked YA because I did not see that oh, part of the question and i am sorry but i will say that if i had seen that part of the question i probably would have picked this one anyway uh, because the characters i picked six of crows by lee bardugo which is a, a a fantasy heist about six um teenagers who have to you know go do a heist but it's i mean it's very oceans 11 and i feel like the characters in that book are teenagers in numbers only like they're teenagers, so the book could be sold as YA, but it, they could be easily 25, and the book would still be, like, literally exactly the same. Nothing would have to change about it. So I don't know that, you know, the fact that it's YA should um, keep you away from it. Uh, so this takes place in the same universe as her Grisha trilogy, which you do not have to have read to know anything about, to, to read this book. It's just a, another magical universe that's kind of based a little bit on, like, rush, like, imperial Russia. Um, so really... That's all you need to know so much. Um, the main character's name is Kaz and he is a criminal mastermind, like, um, head of a crime. I don't know if you call it a crime family, like a crime syndicate, uh, in this world. And he gets offered a job where he has to break into the ice court, which is a military stronghold in a country that is an enemy of the country in which he lives, save a hostage, um, Which he finds out that if he saves this hostage, it could, like, unleash this kind of crazy magical chaos onto his world. Which he kind of doesn't care about. Um, And then, you know, he has to survive, like, so that he can get the money. Because the money is what he's here for. And it's a huge payout. Like, it's a payout to where, despite the fact that every character is, like, 17, they could all retire and go live happily ever after on this money. So he pulls together a crew of five other misfits and outcasts and pickpockets and thieves and criminals and orphans um, to go kind of get this job done. Some of them have magical powers. Some of them, most of them don't, actually. Um, Some of them have families that they have abandoned or run away from or who abuse them. um, But all of them have really fascinating backstories that you get to know. The point is there are no adults here taking care of these kids. Um, They are each other's family, even though they come together and, like, um, for, for mercenary reasons that come together to to get this money. And some of them have their own personal reasons for wanting to deal with this hostage who has this like kind of magical thing going on. Um, but it's not out of any personal regard for each other. But as the book continues, they just, you know, you know, how that kind of happens, they become besties. And then everybody takes care of each other. And it's the first book in a duology, I'm pretty sure. So you can find out what happens to them um, after... The heist, which ends in a cliffhanger. I'm so sorry, um, but it's great. I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's Magic Ocean's Eleven with teenagers. I feel like I don't really need to say anything else about it, <laughs> except there's only six of them. Um, and yeah, don't please don't let the fact that it's YA mean that you don't read it because it's just a great time. Um, it's not. It's not anything like A Little Life. Like it's not nearly as depressing at all. The tone is completely different. Also, there are there is magic. Um, but it's got that same kind of. We have no one else, but we have each other kind of thing going on. So, yeah. I'll stop talking now. Okay. So do you love
1: that book or do you love it? Like, I'm not I sure. I super
0: love it, <laughs> despite the fact that I have not read the sequel because I am terrible at that. Um, but, Yeah. I did love it. Excellent.
1: Uh, Okay. I picked The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers because it is sort of the ultimate example of what we've taken to calling cozy sci-fi. It is such a good found family book. It takes place on a spaceship, as you might guess, um, and it is a very motley crew. Uh, There's different kinds of aliens and there's a couple humans and there's an artificial intelligence. And what is so compelling about this book is that there is a plot um, The plot is that they are on the way To a small angry planet <laughs> but, um, but most of the book Takes place while they're on their way There is like a big sort of Explosive thing that happens at the very End but the bulk of the book Is about learning About these characters history And watching them interact with each other You're sort of brought into the story By Rosemary who is the newest person On the crew um, She gets hired literally to be the bookkeeper Of this crew uh, they do, they do, um, how do I want to say this? They do like interstellar construction work. That's, yes, that's what they do. Um... It's not glamorous, but it pays the bills kind of thing. And she is very introspective, and she is hiding some things about her past. Like, the reason she is on this ship that's headed, you know, to sort of a random place and doesn't care where it's going, she just wants to be in space off-planet, uh, is because she is running away from some things. Um, so she is very wary, and... Also, this crew is very sort of tight-knit, and she is the outsider. So watching her sort of come to terms with the other crewmates and, you know, learning to relate to, for example, the oh, the very, shit. like, Jen, lizard... I lost you. You know, alien pirate, a, a pilot. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really fascinating. And they are... I don't want to... How to say this? Like, there are sort of... Emotional plot points that are really at the crux of the story. Um, One of the characters is sort of going through a withdrawal that's specific to their species. Another one is sort of uh, like nearing the end of their productive life and and the crew has to make some choices about how to deal with that um, and it is really it's just so compelling to watch them interacting with each other and it, it for me it captures exactly the feelings that you're talking about of watching people negotiate their relationships in a really caring and thoughtful and like compelling way so that is the long way to a small angry planet by Becky Chambers.
0: Okay, so our next question is from Leah, who says, um, let's see. I In the summer, I love walking and hiking and climbing outdoors. Now that it's winter, I'm spending more time with a book on the couch. It would be great to read about the activities I'm missing. I loved Wild by Cheryl Strayed and Into the Wild. I also love books with extensive walking, like The Hobbit fantasy is definitely definitely loud and the road by Cormac McCarthy I haven't been able to find many novels about climbing or climbers so that would be a bonus not a big fan of nonfiction although I thought the places in between by Rory Stewart was amazing okay well I stuck with the fantasy thing and went with the sorcerer of the Wild Eeps by Kai Ashanti Wilson which is about two demigods going for a walk and having feels for each other. <laughs> that's I'm sorry, that's the best description of that book I've
1: ever heard. That oh is a, my goodness! Quite a reductive <laughs> way of putting that book. It sounds like the lead into like a to like demigods walk into a bar show.
0: <laughs> okay, um, but it's not wrong. Like I'm not wrong. They are just kind of going no, for you're a walk. Not so the main you're character's name is Demain, and he is a demigod. Um, who is, you know, on Earth now and is working for a caravan, I don't know, like not, not a company, like a caravan owner to take a load of goods from one place to the other. There's only one safe road for them to do this on um, between the the oasis that they're in and this like southern kingdom. Um, but it is being stalked by this like c- crazy evil necromancer thing. Um, and at the same time that this is happening, Domaine himself um, is... Not super excited about his company, like the company that he's keeping. Uh, It's pretty obvious from really the jump that he has a more like, I don't know, nicer is not the right word, egalitarian, I guess, um, view of life than a lot of the people who he's working with, except he has a great deal of respect for the captain of the caravan, who is very attractive um, and maybe is also (laughs) kind of a demigod. Uh, And so they go for a walk. Like they take their caravan, they're escorting this caravan um, down to the place where they need to go to sell all these goods because that's their job while surviving and also having some feels for one another. So, you know, in as much as escorting a caravan is walking or hiking, it is in this book. I don't know. I thought it fit. It does fit. I'm standing by it. I stand by my selection. Um, so and it, it, there is a sequel, uh, which is called, I think, A Taste of Honey. And these are really short. Uh, they're novellas. So you can read them in like a sitting. So if you happen to be doing like the Read Harder Challenge, um, the 15th task is read a book in one sitting. And this would really fit in with that. So that's The Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps by Kaya Shanti Wilson.
1: I also went with fantasy, and also picked a novella. Whoops, not sorry. I went with Supernatural Camping. Um, It's The Red Threads of Fortune by J.Y. Yang, which is technically the second book in this two-book series, but I read it first sort of by accident because, like, this needs to be a bingo square. We are terrible at series. (laughs) And it didn't matter that I hadn't read the other one. So um, the main character, Sanao Makoya, has sort of, like, left a pretty big life. She used to be sort of a seer. Um, She had magical powers and she was the daughter or rather is the daughter of a very highly, like of the supreme protector, sort of empress type person. Um, And she had a husband and she had a daughter and she has left all that behind um, after the tragic death of her young daughter. And she is now in this sort of outer reaches of the kingdom. She's got a pack of dinosaurs and she's hunting creatures Uh, called Naga that are just like giant and deadly and come from a different continent and are sort of ravaging her land. Uh, And so this is like a very thankless task. It's dangerous, but she throws herself into it because she has just sort of left the rubble of her previous life behind. Um, And then she, in the course of tracking down uh, the current Naga that they're hunting, she meets a very mysterious person um, and starts to understand that there's more going on here than she thought. And maybe some of these things tie back to her previous life and she has to come to terms with that stuff. Um, I did pick it because you you mentioned, like, you know, wanting stuff that's outdoors and very active in a way that you can't do right now. And, like, I don't have a dinosaur to ride. But, like, I'm pretty sure you don't either. <laughs> yeah. But I really loved sort of this vision of what that might look like and it does feel very realistic in the sense that like it's gritty and there's dust and like camping is hard sometimes and not fun and you know and also then dealing with all of these other people when you just want to be doing this one thing like all of the feelings felt very real um and and also there's this magic that is really enjoyable to read about so yeah i really love this this novella series um i think it's so well done and it's a really she's also the the author has created this world um, from... A, it's inspired by Asian mythology and history. Uh, They they're like it's part of the Silk Punk movement that Ken Liu, for example, is also part of, which I'm just so so here for. I I find it fascinating. the The world building is so fresh and interesting and different. And and J Y Yang has done that here. has created a really fresh, interesting world to explore. So that is the Red Threads of Fortune by J Y Yang. It's the first in the, or excuse me, it's the second in the Tensorit series. Okay, so our last question is from Kate, who says, I've watched a lot of mob movies slash shows lately, so my first request would be any books about any type of mob, fiction or nonfiction. I do seem to have a thing for the Irish mob. Um... My second request would be, since I've been reading mostly crime-slash-murdery, darker-type books, I'm looking for a break from that. I loved Shotgun Love Songs by Nicholas Butler, A Visit from the Goon Squad, and Sweet Bitter. I do like music-related fiction, the found family trope, romantic subplots, and complicated women. Uh, Amanda, you took the mob section.
0: I did. Um, So I picked Jade City by Fonda Lee. Um, which is the first in the Greenbone saga, and I'm saying it's the first without knowing if there's going to be a second. There is, yes, okay, I was right. Um, and this is a d- e- just epic, multi-generational um, mob novel. It's like almost, I think it's over 500 pages. Um, the Godfather, but set in a kind of like Asian-inspired setting. Not kind of, it is. Um, and with like magic. <laughs> also, there's magic. Uh, so you're focusing on two families, actually, uh, that before the book opens were kind of allies, their patriarchs were allies and they split off for various reasons that you find out as you read, uh, the mountain clan and the no peak clan. And you're really following the no peak clan and they're three, uh, the three kids who are, well, they're grown now. And, um, the oldest son is taking over as head of this crime family. The youngest son is his kind of right-hand enforcer. And then their sister Wants no part of it. Like, she's grown up in this crime family. They're really wealthy and powerful and all that, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So she's gone off um, to another country to study and has come back um, for, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but you'll find out why. <laughs> and the, the twist here is that Jade is... A magical amplifier. So people who have what they they call them green bones, people who can work with jade, discover that they, when they come in contact with it, they have supernatural strength and speed, and they can like anticipate people's not thoughts, but like kind of read read the room in a supernatural way, Um, read their emotions and. Um, kind of predict what they're going to do and all that sort of thing. lots of good they're good at fighting is what I'm saying basically they're really good at fighting um, the the catch here is that if you aren't good at Jade but you still want it because of what it gives you you can do that and a lot of people do try to do that but it gives it like destroys you physically emotionally mentally um, you become addicted to it and then eventually you die uh, and so there is a new drug that's come out of, on the market that lets people who aren't from this island carry jade which is, terrible for everyone involved basically including both of these families and for the country in which they live and their economy and geopolitical problems that it presents all of these sorts of things so you're you're following both these really minute family dramas within both of these clans but also these huge geopolitical issues that are happening and all of it is being controlled by these two really violent crime families um, that eventually as the book progresses become openly hostile to each other uh so it is if i mean like if you like the godfather or like peaky blinders even mob like if you like crime families and that sort of drama and um violence it is pretty violent um then i think that this is a great take on that because it, it's not western centric but it still involves all of the like tropey stuff that are, that's really great about like mob books especially about the godfather which i read and loved. um and the soon a second one will be out So you can read both. So that's Jade City by Fonda Lee.
1: All of the cosign for that one. So good. That book was so enjoyable, yeah. Uh, Okay, I picked you a music-related fiction. It is The Chimes by Anna Smale. And it is set in a reimagined London in a world where music and sound are the primary metaphors for... Life because this is also a world in which people can't form new memories. And there's no writing like they, There's just people don't write things down. It's not a thing that happens. Um, so like you, you don't know at any given moment what has happened the day before, basically. Um, and you are just sort of moving in this world and, and your day is carved up by the sound of these bells. And, and you're following a young man named Simon whose parents have died, and he's arrived in London, and he knows he's on a mission, but because of this memory thing, he doesn't know what it is. Um, And he knows he's a little bit different from the people around him, but he doesn't quite realize how different until he hooks up with this other sort of orphan gang of young men who are scavenging uh, to make a living in London. And it turns out that the leader of this gang is perhaps involved in more than just the scavenger business. And this book was so interesting to read because I'm not a musician. I mean, I I played like, you know, the flute in middle school kind of thing. Like I took guitar classes in college. So I have a basic literacy with, you know, music, but not anything more than that. And it was so fascinating to sort of get in this headspace where even like, you know, whether you're moving quickly or slowly, like you're moving like adagio or lento. Like the words that this book uses to describe what's happening are music words. So you really sucked into this music as metaphor thing. Um, And it was fascinating. It was really a really cool reading experience and then also I ended up loving the plot like it's it's a dystopia story there's there's some you know action and adventure and conspiracies and you know people not turning out to be who you thought they were so it's got all of that good stuff on top of which it is so deeply immersed in the language of music so I think you might enjoy this it also has some of that found family that you're looking for um yeah I think you will find a lot to enjoy here So that is The Chimes by Anna Smale. And
0: that is our
1: show. (laughs) Huzzah!
0: Yay! Thank you all so much for listening. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors for helping us, you know, be on this show and make it happen. (laughs) You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen.
1: I am on Tumblr. It's JenIRL.tumblr.com and that is Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week.